God the Father of all men, ruler of all nations, master of the universe, Lord of all creation. Can it be that we are the people of the Later this week, uh, we're going to be celebrating a holiday called Thanksgiving, and we're going to have a lot of opportunities throughout the week to, uh, to think about the things that we are thankful for. And this morning, what I want us to do is take a few moments to take a look at some passages in the Bible that speak about something that we most certainly should be thankful for, but we could easily overlook that. And that is the fact that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings, and really what that means to us. Because... Jesus being the King of Kings, that means that he gives us hope, that means that he gives us salvation, that means all of these great things come to us, but we can easily overlook this and forget to be thankful for Jesus Christ being the King of Kings. Let's take a look at three passages together which show us and teach us more about Jesus being King. The first passage we're going to take a look at comes to us from the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, this is how the whole book begins of Hebrews. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has in inherited is superior to theirs. And that's what the rest of Hebrews chapter 1 is talking about, time and time again, about the uplifted nature of Jesus being the Son, of Jesus being the King. That's why after he'd already provided this purification for sins in verse 3, we find out that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven because Jesus Christ is our King. He is the one who is in charge. No matter how difficult for for us that might be to, to believe and, and sometimes we see things and, and uh, in this world and it doesn't always look like Jesus Christ is King, but he most certainly is. 
And we see that he has gained this position after he has already provided for purification of sins. We see that his place is that he is above all things. He has made all of these things. That's how Hebrews starts off by telling us how great the Son is. This is a wonderful example about how this Son of God is the king of the entire universe. He is so much better than any of the angels. In fact, the rest of this chapter goes on and on and on about that. And we're going to just pick up and look at one more verse in this chapter. Because in verse 13, um, the Hebrew writer even kind of says, and by a quote right here, he says, To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? By the way, the answer is none of them. None of the angels did God ever say that to, but he did say that to his son. That's why in the next chapter, in Hebrews chapter 2, the first uh, verses 1 through 4, we read, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So this goes on and really kind of drives home the point that, look, we know that the Son of God is special. We know Jesus Christ is special. We know him sitting at the right hand of God is so special. It, he is not like those angels. He is something very different. And the Son has been given such this wonderful uh, position right here that now we must ask ourselves, what do we do in light of this? What do we do with this information? We most certainly should submit to the king, bow to him, and worship him because he is worthy of all of our worship. He has brought salvation to us. He has done all of these things, and God has shown his power through Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit has also distributed these gifts according to his will. These are the things that we start to learn in Hebrews chapters 1 and 2. And I would say the whole rest of the book of Hebrews is, is a wonderful representation of how great Jesus Christ is, how great it is that he is our king and that he has given us uh, all of these wonderful uh, gifts about being able to follow him and what that type of life would look like. The rest of the book of Hebrews uh, goes into great detail about all those things. But now we're going to, to look at another passage once again in the New Testament, but this time in the, uh, the writings of Paul from the book of Colossians. Because in Colossians, if you want to see a book of the Bible that really lifts up Jesus and shows that he is at the very top, he is the king above all any other kings that are on this earth, the book of Colossians will show that time and time again. Let's just look at the first chapter. In Colossians chapter 1, now we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 14 right here. We're actually going to go all the way down to verse 20, but in order for it to all fit on one slide, we're going to look at it at, at uh, uh, two different uh, sections right here. But pay special attention when we get into verse 11, because that's wherever it really starts. But if we didn't start in verse 9, it wouldn't make as much sense. So we're going to back up and, and look at this. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of, of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives 
so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We see in so many different ways this beautiful message about this kingdom that God has brought us into, especially when we get into verse 13. We see that we as a people, we as Christians, we have been rescued from this kingdom, this dominion of darkness, and we have been brought into the kingdom of the Son of God. We have been brought into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And in this kingdom, we have redemption. In this kingdom, we have forgiveness of sins. In this kingdom, and only in this kingdom, do we find salvation. And we see time and time again, right here and in the slide that will follow and even in the, the previous ones in, in Hebrews, that time and time again, it is stressed that Jesus has all of this power, that he is above all of these things. We've already started to see it right here, but we're going to definitely see it in the following verses. Let's look at those now. Verses 15 through 20. Praising Jesus, the Son. Listen to how he is described. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This passage and every passage that we've looked at up to this point has been pointing to how great Jesus is how wonderful he is, how he has been set above all of these things. He um, is the one who has created all things. We see that that truly does mean um, all things. Uh, all things were created in him, verse 16. We also see that he, in verse 17, is before all things. He's holding all things together. Do you see time and time again how all things come back and come ultimately from Christ? Christ is the Son who is worthy to be praised, who has taken on this kingdom. And he has allowed us to be a part of this kingdom. And we can quite literally be eternally grateful for such things. But then as you're looking through all this, we see the connection between God the Father and his Son in verse 19. That Jesus has all the fullness of God is dwelling in him. And we also find out in verse 20 that the whole plan of God comes to being able to, to reconcile to himself all things. Uh, that includes me and you. That, that includes actually everything on this earth, everything in heaven. And he does this by making peace. How does the last part of verse 20 say? By making peace 
through his blood shed on the cross. Now, you might be looking at this and, and thinking, you know, all of this has been wonderful, talking about Jesus being this king, and, and, and you get to the end here, and we see that it comes through his blood that was shed on a cross. Now, this to us might make a little bit of sense because we're used to seeing crosses and we know that Jesus uh, went to the cross, that he died on the cross. But if you were living in the first century and, and hearing this message, yes, you would be familiar with Jesus dying on a cross, but you would also know that that's not what kings are supposed to do. You would be right in that. Kings are not supposed to be lifted up on a cross. In fact, what kings are supposed to do is they're supposed to inherit the kingdom, right? And they're supposed to get the crown, right? And being able to have that, that royal scepter to show that they have this power and they would put on, you know, the fancy robe and stuff. However, with Jesus, we see that, yes, he did those things, but he did those things in a strange sort of way. Let's turn to the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, we see that Jesus has been given a crown. It was a crown of thorns. He was given a scepter, but only to be mocked with it. And we see that he was also given a robe, but only for that to be taken away from him as well. Every kind of element of becoming a king and being raised up and exalted and put on a throne to, to rule and to reign. We see that what Jesus does is he's not raised up to rule and reign on a throne. No, right here, he is raised up on a cross. In Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 43, we read, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So what we see in this glimpse, we see that yes, Jesus is, is exalted, he's lifted up, but he's lifted up on a cross. He's actually lifted up on a cross and the people that are right there with him, they're these, these thieves. They're these people that are surrounding them. They're all mocking him. They're, they're not excited that he is, you know, king. No, he does have a sign that says, this is the king of the Jews. That's one of the few things that Pilate does and perhaps he does that just kind of in a, in a way of sort of making fun of them too and saying, look, this is what this, this king that you're looking for, th this is him. But whatever the case, that sign, it was true. This is the king of the Jews. Although the sign doesn't go quite far enough because really Jesus was not the king of the Jews. He's the 
king of, of all the nations, not just the Jewish nation. And yes, he is the Messiah. And they mocked him and they said, if you're the Messiah, why don't you save yourself and, and us as well? In fact, other people, they also mocked him even earlier than that in verse 35. And they said, well, he saved others. Uh, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, if he's the chosen one. Jesus did not save himself from that cross because his whole intention about going to the cross, being lifted up on the cross, was to save not himself, but everyone else. That includes you, that includes me. That's why even while he was on the cross, he would state, uh, the Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That, that's amazing. This is what the kingdom of God is about. This is what Jesus Christ, being the king of kings, this is what he is all about. Because even on the cross, the very people who have done all these ill things to him, he asks for forgiveness. In fact, he's going to, to go through with this whole plan, and he is going to ultimately provide forgiveness of sins. We also see that one of these, these criminals that's uh, there beside him, he tells him in verse 42, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I love the faith of this man because he knows he's dying. He knows Jesus is dying. Yet he also, in some way, I don't know how he thought it was going to work out, but in some way he still believes that Jesus is going to come into his kingdom. I mean, most of the followers of Jesus by this point, have they've already left him. And they've perhaps at this point given up hope that Jesus is going to be king and going to set up a kingdom. But this this man on the cross, he still says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Now, the only way that he's going to be with him in paradise is because Jesus Christ is that type of king. The king who shows mercy. He is God's Messiah. He is the chosen one. He is the one who has brought mercy to the nations. He is the one who has brought hope to the nations. And to that, we can be eternally grateful, eternally thankful for Jesus Christ, who is the King above all kings. Let's make sure that we serve him with every part of our life, both today and forever. God reigns over the nations, God sits on his holy God sits on his holy throne. 
Sits on his holy throne. 